It's uh, July 4th weekend, so I say God bless America. And happy 4th of July to you. In honor of this weekend, I want to read a portion of the Declaration of Independence. Then I got a great patriotic song that we're going to uh, listen to. Uh, Brought tears to my eyes as I heard it the other day. And then we're going to pray for America. Then I got a message, God's word for America. All right. But just a portion of the Declaration of Independence. We'll put it on up on the video screen so you can follow along with me. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government, laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as they shall, as them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in general Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions, do in the name and by authority of the good people of these colonies solemnly publish and declare that these united colonies are and of right ought to be free and independent states and they are absolved from all allegiance to the british crown and that all political connections between them and the state of great britain is and ought to be totally dissolved and that as free and independent states they have full power to levy war conclude peace contract alliances establish commerce and to do all other acts and things which independent states may have right do. And for the support of this declaration, with firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, we mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. All right, we got a song, and it's, the song is God Bless the USA. It's by Lee Greenwood. He redid the song. It's, the music is played by the Air Force Band. And the singing sergeants of the Air Force accompany him. And uh, may that be our prayer. God bless America. Why don't we uh, watch the video. As soon as we're done with this video, we're going to have a time of praying for our country, okay? If tomorrow all the things were gone I'd work for all my life And I had to start again With just my children and my wife I'd thank my lucky stars To be living here today Where the flag still stands for freedom And they can't take that away
From the lakes of Minnesota To the hills of Tennessee Across the plains of Texas Oh, from sea to shining sea From Detroit down to Houston New York to L.A. Where there's pride in every American heart And it's time we stand and say chokes me up. Anyway, let's pray for our country. Can we do that? Lord, we're so thankful for all that America is and its ideals, Lord, that we have freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that we are a nation of all men created equal. We, the people, the rule of law, Equal justice under the law. Lord, these great ideals. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And in these areas, Lord, where we fall so short, Father, we pray for your forgiveness. We ask, O Lord, that you would hear our prayer as your people. Lord, we turn from our wicked ways and our sins where we have fallen short, and we stand and pray for our country And ask for your blessing, ask for your forgiveness, ask for your healing upon our land. I pray, O Lord, that you would send a great awakening upon our land where people might turn back to God, turn to you, repent and be saved and have changed hearts. Lord, that the ideal and the idea of what America is, Lord, that we might move forward. Lord, that we might be better. But we look to you, O God. You're our Savior. You're our God our maker, our creator, and we trust you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Amen and amen. All right. I titled this message, God's Answer for America. God's Answer for America. Psalm 2. Psalm 2. It says as follows in Psalm 2. We're going to read the whole psalm. It's 12 verses long. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? 
The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest, you be, lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are those who put their trust in him. And may God bless this word to our hearts, God's answer for America. Boy, we need answers, don't we? And I don't know about you, but the best place to go is the word of God that uh, is forever settled and never passes away. This psalm starts out with a question, and I'm not sure who wrote this psalm. I would say David, possibly Solomon. It has two fulfillments to it. I've set my king on my holy hill. That's God setting an earthly king. Perhaps it was David or Solomon as leader over the nation of Israel, but it's a messianic psalm. The king ultimately is King Jesus, right? And it starts out asking this question, why do the nations rage? And that word rage in the Hebrew means to, to have a commotion, a tumult, a, like a, a noisy throng. And according to the scriptures, conflict comes from lust, pride, and sin. Reading a passage of scripture out of the book of James chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. This is why we have conflict in our own hearts, in relationships, why we have conflicts in the home, why we have conflicts in our nation, why we have conflicts nation against nation. It's all kind of summed up here in James chapter 4. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? How many realize that the human heart can be full of conflict, right? Full of conflict. You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. So many times there's rage, there's commotion, there's tumult, there's violence, there's conflict. And it all starts in the human heart, according to the book of James. The second question is, why do the people plot a vain thing there in verse 1 of Psalm 2? And of course, we know that sinful people scheme and plot empty things. A vain thing is an empty thing, a futile thing, a thing without real substance. And I want you to know that so many people do not have the answers for America. Their answers are, I think, empty or vain or useless all political movements that leave out God are never the answer, such as socialism, Marxism, communism, capitalism, the political parties of America, the Democrats and the Republicans. All political movements that leave out God and the truth of the God's word and the moral virtues found therein, they're not the answer for America. Legislative solutions never change the sinful heart. 
You can't legislate morality. The Bible tells us in the book of Timothy, I believe it is, is that God gave the law not for the righteous, but for the sinful. But the Bible also teaches us that uh, only God can change the heart. And so the law outwardly restrains bad behavior, but only the grace of God can change you from the inside out. So that's why we pass laws as to bring, bring boundaries and uh, to bring restrictions to restrict bad behavior. But when we say you cannot legislate morality, what that means is this, and I agree with it, is that no law can change the human heart. We can have a law outlawing all racism, but we know that racism is of the heart and that law has absolutely no power. But I do know a lawgiver, his name is Jesus, that if you invite him into your heart, he can change your human heart and eliminate these attitudes that are very destructive and sinful and wicked. You guys agree with that, don't you? Legislative solutions never change the sinful heart. More money, new programs, or executive orders never solve sin issues. I believe God has the answers for America. But sad to say, God's answers are not what many Americans want to hear. Because his answers involve these type of things. Repentance. Faith in God. Moral virtue. True inner salvation, love, trust, the golden rule. But I will say this, there is nothing this world has ever come up with that can match the gospel. I've never had less confidence in people, politicians, programs, or my own power, but I've never had more confidence in Jesus and his gospel. Can you believe that? God's answer for America. What is the message? What is the answer? I say it's this. I say it's the gospel. I'm a preacher of the gospel. We're a church. The, the gospel is the power of God to salvation. That's the message. That's the word. That's where we stand. That's our hope. That's our trust. We're people of God, people of faith. We believe the answers for all societal ills is found in the message of the gospel in the person of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What are God's answers for America? I believe there are four truths found in Psalm 2, and I want to take you through these four truths. God's answer for America. Answer number one is this. America's problem is a spiritual problem. It is a sin problem. It is a rebellious problem. Why do I say that? Because of verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 8. It reads as follows. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. Listen to this. Against the Lord and against his anointed. Now his anointed, Psalm 2 was written maybe by David. Maybe David is referring to himself as the anointed king. I mean, these nations, these peoples, they've set themselves against the God of Israel, against me as king over Israel. But this is a messianic psalm. They literally are against the Lord, the Father, and against the anointed, his son, Jesus Christ, saying, let us, these wicked men, break their the father and sons, their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Against the Lord, breaking their bonds, casting away their cords. This is a spiritual problem. This is a rebellious problem. This is what Psalm 2 is talking about. Our problems are sin problems. 
rebellion problems. Proverbs 17 verse 11 says, evil people are eager for rebellion. Evil people are eager for rebellion and they will be severely punished. Malachi chapter 2. Now Malachi, he was a prophet that God raised up to speak to the people after they came back from captivity. He was prophesying to the people of God during the book of Nehemiah. When Nehemiah is rebuilding those walls, trying to bring the people back to God. And Malachi was raised up by the Lord. And he gives a message to the Israelites that had returned from captivity. And he says in Malachi chapter 2. You have wearied the Lord with your words, yet you say, in what way have we wearied him? And so God is literally being so tired of what these people, the people of God are saying to him, their attitudes. In that you say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and that he delights in them. Or where is the God of justice? There's two things there. Now, I believe our world is turned upside down. What is evil is considered good. What is good is considered evil. What is truth is considered false. What's false is considered true. I tell you, don't you feel like you're living in bizarro world? Black is white. White is black. Up is down. Down is up. Oh my gosh. It happens when people leave God. When they turn in rebellion or to sin, they begin to justify behavior and become pure in their own eyes. And really, the God of Scripture tells us what is true, what is right, what is wrong, what is sin. Hosea chapter 11, verse 4, this is the prophet Hosea. He's speaking to the rebellious children of Israel. And he says, I drew them talking as God's voice to them, I drew them with gentle cords with bands of love. And I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck, I stooped and fed them. So God's talking to the rebellious people of Israel. He says, listen, I ministered to you in love. I drew you with bands of love. I stooped, I humbled myself. I took care of you as my people. But listen what Jeremiah says, as the people of God took that Cords of love and bands of love, the the loving laws of God. Listen to how they treated it in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 5. I will go to the great men and speak to them, for they have known the way of the Lord, the judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke and burst the bonds. You know, God says, I love you and I'm drawing you and I give you my laws and my decrees and, and I'm ministering to you out of love and I put these boundaries on you because I love you and I'm drawing you. And rebellious man says, we don't want that. We don't want God's laws. We don't want God's truth. We don't care about his love. So answer number one, America's problem is a sin problem. It's a rebellious problem. Answer number two, God is the judge, and he will judge sin. Why do I say that? Well, verses four and five of Psalm two, I'm going to read that. He who sits in the heavens, now who's who's sitting in heaven? God, he sits on a throne, right? He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath. And distress them in his deep displeasure. He who sits in heaven shall laugh. What does it mean that God laughs? This This is not a laugh of joy. This is God getting the last laugh. 
This is God laughing at their feeble efforts, laughing at their rebellion, realizing, why does God laugh? Well, let me put it this way. God laughs because he is in full control. It'd be like the children, you have little children, little tricycle motors, and they're, they're bossing you around, and you just chuckle to yourself, and you realize, I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. God laughs, right? God laughs because he is not threatened by man. God laughs because he is in full control. God laughs because he gets the last laugh. And so man, puny man, we think we're so mighty strong, puny man is hatching plots and schemes and raging against God and casting away his laws and changing what is true into a lie and having all kinds of thoughts that we don't want God over us. We don't need God. God is dead and God is looking down from heaven and he's just laughing, laughing at their smallness. Laughing at their plans and schemes because he realizes they are powerless. The Bible here says, the Lord shall hold them in derision. That's what it says in verse 4. The Lord shall hold them in derision. That means that God mocks them. Reminds me of a passage of scripture in the New Testament. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. What comes after that? Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. God mocks them or holds them in derision. He causes them to reap what they have sown. In other words, if you sow sin, you'll reap destruction. If you sow the wind, you'll reap the whirlwind. I mean, the, uh, man thinks they're so smart and they're so capable and they have a better way and they turn from the way of truth and from the God of the Bible or scriptures and God looks down from heaven and he, he's laughing at them. The Bible says he holds them in derision, which means he begins to mock them and he allows them to begin to reap what they have sown. The Bible tells us that he speaks to them in his wrath. In verse 5, God speaks to them in his wrath. What that means is God begins to pass sentence upon them. I tell you what, I do not want God to speak to me when he's angry at me. I don't want that, right? I want God to speak to me in love, God to speak to me in compassion, and thank God for the cross, and thank God for salvation. I am in Christ, so when God deals with me, even even if he is chastening or disciplining me, the Bible says, whom the Lord loves, he chastens and disciplines. Aren't you glad that you are a recipient of God's love? Absolutely. And he does not deal with us according to his wrath, but sinful man, wicked man, they are not in or under the covering of God's love. The Bible says that God distresses them in his displeasure. God gives them over to greater sin. Now listen to this. uh, Romans chapter 1 teaches this. When God allows a nation or a people to continue into greater and greater sin, it it is a sign of his anger upon that nation. This is called the wrath of abandonment. You can read about it in Romans chapter 1. God gave them over. And then they go into greater sin. And then the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, God gave them over 
to even greater sin when they do that. God gave them even over to a reprobate mind to do that which is displeasing in the sight. You see the downward slide of a civilization or a culture that does not acknowledge God, does not want God. They begin to go into sin and the way of God's judgment, his wrath now abiding upon them, the wrath of abandonment. In other words, God removes his uh, His hand off of them that restrains us sin and in a way of punishment allows that culture to go headlong further into sin. They enjoy that sin. They promote that sin. So God continues to remove his hands and that culture goes headlong into further and further sin, thus incurring upon them greater and greater displeasure from the Lord. Now God is the judge and God judges sin and it just doesn't start at the great white throne judgment. Answer number three, God's answer for America. Well, what is God's answer for America? Well, verses six to eight is this. God's answer for America is Jesus. That's what verses six, seven, and eight is all about. He's talking about laughing at them, holding them in derision. That means mocking them, allowing them to reap what they've sown, speaking to them in wrath, distressing them, giving them over to greater sin. Then he says in verse 6, yet, I love that word yet, in spite of all this, where sin abounds, what does much more abound? Grace. Grace. Yet, he says, as I look down from heaven, I see the rebellion and the sin and the wickedness and all that they're doing. And uh, my wrath is being uh, poured out upon them in the sense of abandoning them to the greater and greater iniquity. Yet in the midst of all this, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill, the scripture says. I love that. I'll set my king, King Jesus, my holy hill of Zion, that's Jerusalem, that's the palace. Obviously, it's referring to King David or King Solomon, but it's messianic. The Lord Jesus is the chosen one. He is the declared to be one, the anointed one. And I love verse 7, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten you. And then the father turns to his son Jesus that he is declared to be the answer. He says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations for your inheritance. In other words, ask of me and I'll save people. Ask of me and I'll change people's lives. Ask of me and I'll bring them into the kingdom. Ask of me and I'll make them loyal subjects of yours. Ask of me and I'll, I'll save you people that will acknowledge you to be the king, acknowledge you to be the Lord, acknowledge you to be the savior. Just ask of me. The father is asking the son, his son Jesus, to ask him to give him a people. We are the answer to that prayer. Are we not? We're the answer to that prayer. God has wonderfully saved us. And what do we do? We worship the Son. We love God. We submit to his rule. We come under his lordship. We bow our knee to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We say his commandments are not grievous unto us. We delight to do his will. We don't say, I want to cast off all restraints. I want to do my own thing. Freedom and liberty is just doing my own thing. But rather we say, give me moral virtue. Give me the fruit of the spirit. Help me to walk in your truth. I find freedom in your ways, O Lord. Hallelujah. 
God's mission is the Great Commission. God's message is the gospel. God's miracle is salvation. The answer for America is Jesus Christ. Only he can change a heart and ultimately change a culture. What can stop our culture continually headlong towards darkness and evil and rebellion? What can stop that? I tell you what, a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit where he changes hearts and lives. And all of a sudden this stops and there's great restoration and revival in the land. Three wrong responses to culture. Number one, compromising your core beliefs. Why do you want to do that? To fit in, to get along, to not draw attention to yourself, to try to be relevant. And I'm going to have to compromise what I believe to be right and true. I'm talking about biblical beliefs, core beliefs. I believe that's a wrong response. Leads to death. Churches. They get into this when they compromise the clear teachings of the word of God in order to bend to culture and try to remain relevant to the culture. And when they begin to compromise the word of God to bend to the culture, I want you to know it's not too long before the Lord removes the the candlestick from the midst of that church. If we're going to stay a life-giving church, we got to take heed to the word of the Lord and hold fast to the truth of God's word and, and uh, love God, love people, and love truth, the truth of God's word. The second wrong response is retreat from the culture in fear. Well, I just won't, I just won't say anything. I just got to hide the fact that I'm a Christian. I, I need to hide the fact that I believe in what the word of God teaches, and I'm just going to retreat. Who knows, the mob might be coming after me. The third wrong response is anger and bitterness at our culture. This isn't a good response either, where it's us against them. And we shake our fist at them, and we begin to hate them and and, uh, just speak evil of them, them, they, those out there. And God says, I want the gospel to be on the inside of you. And the love of God to be on the inside of you. So we don't don't retreat. We don't compromise. We don't respond in anger and bitterness at this culture. What is the right response to culture? I love 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 18 and 20. I believe this is our response. This is what we need to do. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the right response. We go forth with courage in our heart, with love in our heart, with confidence, knowing of what we know. And we say, I'm an ambassador of Jesus Christ. And my mission is to get you reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, my message is gospel. That's my message. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's my message. That's the ministry of reconciliation. That's the right response. Not anger, not bitterness, not retreating, not compromising, but standing firm and steadfast in the confidence of what we know and who we know. What do we know? The gospel. Who do we know? The Savior, Jesus Christ. That's our message. That's our message. Am I talking to any of you today? 
So answer number one is this out of Psalm 2. America's problem is a spiritual problem. It's called sin and rebellion. Answer number two, God is a judge and he judges sin. Answer number three, God's answer for America is Jesus. Answer number four is found in verses 10 to 12. It's basically this. Be saved. Love and serve Jesus. That's what happens there in verses 10, 11, and 12. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. That's a great message for presidents and governors and judges and congresspeople and lawgivers and regular folk as well. Is it not a great message? Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. I love this. Kiss the sun. That's capital S. Kiss the sun. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. In other words, get saved. Otherwise, you'll be eternally judged. That's strong, isn't it? Kiss the sun, lest to be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. I love this. Blessed or happy are all those who put their trust in him. I'll tell you what, America needs some happiness, doesn't it? America needs the blessings of the Lord. And it happens when we begin to put our trust in him. But, but the counsel there in verses 10, 11, and 12 is be instructed, judges of the earth. Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord with fear. Fear. That, that means you reverence God. You're not fearing man. You're reverencing God. You're fearing the Lord. Serve him with the holy fear. And it, it brings that theme again on the next one. Rejoice with what? Trembling. Oh, Lord, I, I rejoice in you. And as I rejoice and celebrate you and worship and praise you, I tremble in your presence. You know, that's, that's the fear of the Lord, right? The fear of the Lord. He goes on and he says, kiss the son. And I, I think of kissing the son as loving him, worshiping him, having a personal relationship with him, submitting. I, I think of, uh, you know, kings. And they come and they, they kiss the ring, bow and kiss the sovereign. And thank God that America is not a, a, a nation of kings and queens. It's we the people. It's we the people. It's the rule of law. That's one, another reason why I love America, the rule of law. And we don't have to kiss any politician. We don't have to pledge allegiance to any man, to any woman, to any party. We bow our knee to Jesus Christ. Am I right about that? We bow our knee to Jesus Christ. And he's the ring we kiss. He's the hand we kiss. He's the one we love. He is Lord of our conscience. He's Lord of our conscience. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Be saved. Love and serve Jesus. Give yourself wholly to him. You know, I've been preaching a lot on this, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the dew sent down from heaven that follows repentance. I believe that so much is happening that God needs to get our attention and that we as the people of God need to respond to all that is happening. I believe that God is speaking 
And so, Lord, what are you saying? And I believe that this is what we need to do. We need to be 100% committed to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now is the time to get serious with your God. Now is the time to lay it all down, to serve the Lord, to not give in to fear, to not give in to compromise, to not give in to anger and bitterness, to not be uh, just simply uh, affected by what is happening in this world and letting it flavor you, letting it leaven you. But rather, as Christians, I am all in for Jesus. I'm all out for the Lord Jesus. He is my all in all. Somebody say amen to that. No holding back, no turning back. It's all for Jesus. These waves of momentum and tidal waves of this and that that can just engulf you and carry you around. I say keep your feet firmly on the rock of Jesus Christ. Let the love of God be in your heart. You pray for America. You turn from your sins, whatever the Holy Spirit is dealing with you about. And you make sure you are 100% all in for Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, he will keep you. He will keep us. The world is shifting sand, but Jesus Christ is a solid rock. We need that, don't we? We need that, don't we? How many of you are ready to say, Jesus Christ, I am going to be 100% all in for you? Bow your head in the presence of the Lord. I don't want people to see your hands or anything such as that. But if you would say, I'm 100% committed, I'm going to repent of my sins, turn from my ways, I'm not going to be leavened by this culture anymore, I'm not going to react in fear or in anger or in compromise, but I'm going to love God and love people and remember the gospel is the answer. 100% committed with your heads bowed. If, if that is you, I just want you to signal to the Lord in any way you deem appropriate right now. And I want it to be a, a signal bodily of some type. Raising your finger, raising your hand, standing to your feet, lifting up your head to heaven. However you want to signal that you have heard God's spirit and you have received his word and you know he wants you to make fresh commitment to Jesus Christ in these very challenging uncertain times I want you to make that signal right now just right now make that signal right now you know if you come to Cornerstone Church you're always going to be challenged to be all in for Jesus and, to, and not to give in to worldliness and compromise. It's the, only, it's the only way I know how to do it. We love you, Lord Jesus. With your heads bowed in the presence of the Lord and you're just talking to God right now, I'm going to give you an assignment this week. All right? A way to act on the word of the Lord. We're supposed to be doers, not hearers only, right? So a way to act on this word. I want you to show the love of Jesus to someone this week who looks or acts different than you. Can you do that? In some way, show the love of Jesus to someone who looks or acts different than you.
might be somebody that's just rebellious, worldly-minded. They want nothing to do with God. Perhaps there's somebody that looks different than you. Maybe they're a person of color. And you can just show the love of Jesus. A kind word. An act of grace or love. An email. Witnessing to them. Praying for them. Just in some way. Show the love of Jesus. To somebody that acts different than you. Or looks different than you. That's putting this word into practice.